Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, another weekend in the books. Tons of sports. Don't know what you like, but you got it. The baseball playoffs are set. Well, we got teams losing records in. We knew that might happen. They led in 16 to 30 teams. What are you going to do? Happens in the NBA when they led in 16 to 30 teams, and nobody really bats an eye because it happens so often. <laughs> NBA, oh, the national sports media is so upset. They could have been flying back and forth between L.A. and Miami for the NBA Finals. Heat and Lakers clinching over the weekend. Now it'll all be in Orlando in the bubble. The Heat close out the Celtics in six. The Lakers wrapped it up over the Nuggets in five. Uh, we'll get to your predictions and your thoughts on that coming up later in the show. We've got a lot of time for the NFL ahead. We're down to six teams at 3-0, and eight unbeaten teams. Two of them meet tonight, Kansas City and Baltimore. Um, boy, the games have jumped out of me. Uh, two quarterbacks, Josh Allen and uh, Russell Wilson are putting up numbers we haven't seen before. Now, how much do you get into the stats? Wilson with his 14 touchdown passes in three weeks. That uh, breaks Mahomes' record, if that's a record, uh, who had 13 in three weeks on the way to his MVP. Um, Allen's over 1,000 yards passing in three games. Uh, so I, I don't know how much to put stock to put in these stats because obviously the game just has tilted so much towards the passing game over the last uh, – well, it's been happening for 40 years, but certainly over the last 10. Um, so they're both 3-0. and uh, the, the problem with the Seahawks uh, isn't offensive because offensively they look brilliant and Wilson just looks awesome. Uh, but defensively, a few red flags going up here. Giving up 31 points. They gave up 30 the week before to the Patriots. And you can say, okay, uh, the Cowboys and Patriots are good teams. Yeah, okay, you're right. But they gave up 25 to the Falcons. I mean, are they planning on stopping anybody anytime soon? Packers beat the Saints 37-30, so they're 3-0. Aaron Rodgers looks like uh, he's playing a different game than everybody else, just doing whatever he wants. Uh, he just he looks he looks really, really good. I mean, just just blow your mind good. Um, you know, obviously the Bills and yeah, Allen's got the stats, but they were pretty fortunate. Uh, well, the Rams should have never let him convert a third and 22. That was horrible. And they shouldn't have blown uh, the big lead at Buffalo. And Buffalo got a huge break on the pass interference call. I thought that was a no call. I thought both guys were hand fighting. And they got the call, and they got the touchdown, and they got the win. So there you go. Caught a, bre- caught a break there as far as I'm concerned. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, a couple other things. I mean, obviously the Cowboys fall from the ranks of three and zero, and you got to say Dak Prescott. You got to protect the ball. Two picks and and a uh, a fumble at, at a key time. Of course, you want to go fumbles at a key time. The Saints, Taysom Hill losing the ball. That was painful. A tie game. That fumble. That one really hurt. Just came at a horrible, horrible time. Just horrible. Um, I guess the team, if you want to go 3-0 and and under the radar, I would probably go Tennessee Titans. Uh, the, the Titans are there. You know, they're 3-0, they're and and you gotta got to give them points for that. Um, but they, they keep playing really, really close games. And, and you like that. There's some squeakers, but, it, it, you know, at some point, you got to blow people out. Uh, they beat the Vikings 31-30. They do it with like six field goals. It's, I mean, it's just 
crazy. And this is how they've been winning, right? They beat the Broncos in the opener uh, with the field goal right at the end of the game. They beat the Jaguars 33-30. And I guess really the question is, and we can spend a lot of time on, you know, hey, those are great great field goals. Gokowski with six in a game, a 55-yarder in the last two minutes to win it. Um, But why are they kicking so many field goals? You know, more touchdowns, fewer field goals. The field goals are going to get you beat at some point. And you figure in the red zone, you got Henry. He has got to put it in the end zone. Um, Tannehill's still throwing for 300 yards, and they had the great run when they switched quarterbacks last year, so Tennessee may really be on to something here. All right, we'll have plenty more on the NFL coming up. we got to take a break. When we come back, college football, stay with us. We'll hear from the Cougars right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, BYU improves to 2-0, and we got a question up on our Facebook. How good are the Cougars at 2-0? Now, never throw a win back. You know, ask Oklahoma, right? They're playing a Kansas State team that lost Arkansas State, and they've got a 21-point lead, and they blow it and lose the game. And so Oklahoma has got to win the rest of them. No more mulligans if they're going to get back to the playoff, win the conference title, all that kind of stuff. So you can't throw wins back because you never know. Ask Texas Tech. They're up by 15 with three minutes to go, and they blew it and lost to Texas in overtime. Anything can happen. You never know. Um, I can go through all the other games. The LSU game was fabulous. But let's get to the Cougars. They just pounded Troy. Just pounded him. I, I don't know that you can say that there was any, um, any turning point in a game that's that lopsided. But if there was, it was the three-fourth and ones early in the game, which I guess would be three turning points, not one, but you get my point. Troy gets the muff punt. They've got a gift. they got the short field. Hey, score early. You know, put them on their heels, all that kind of stuff. And BYU stops them on a fourth and one. Huge, huge for the defense to do that. And then BYU has a fourth and one, um, and they punch it in the end zone for a touchdown. They have another fourth and one. They convert that, and they immediately throw a big play down to the one-yard line on the next play to Gunnar Romney. So three fourth and ones. BYU won all of that, all of them, and that blows the game open. It's 21 nothing before you know what's happening. And, and, and the rest of it was, you know, yeah. There's 60 minutes on the clock, so you got to play it. But BYU is going to win after that. All right, let's hear from the Cougars. Let's start with uh, running back Lapini Katoa. Lapini, we talked before the game about how Troy might really try to, to stop the run game. And there for quite a bit, they were really slowing you guys down at the point of attack as far as the run game goes and, and the passing game answered. What does that show about this team? Yeah, it's, it's just like I said before, just there's no right answer against us. And that's with, with any good offense. Um, they can't be right if they, you know, try to stop the pass heavy. The run game will answer. But like tonight, like you said, the pass game was able to open up a lot for us. And so just goes to show the versatility and uh, the balance that we have as an offense. Peeney, what has been the key to you guys having back-to-back near – well, you almost had 50 points tonight. You had 50 points against Navy. What's been the key to getting you guys to score so many points early on this season? Just, uh, you know, there's, we're not doing a lot um, different than we were in the past. You know, it's just um, – it's just – I don't know, just seeing our hard work, like 
the fruits of our our hard work come up you know coming on the field is is really all it is we're just working hard every day um we know we can't settle we can't um, take any opponent lightly and we have the ability to score a lot of points so we might as well do it every week course of the game we're able to see a lot of new faces make plays specifically for your skill position group miles davis how nice is it for you as a team leader to see some of those guys get that opportunity and to step up when that opportunity comes their way i love it i I get so excited on the sideline when i see um you know guys who who you know are not as confident with the game just because of a lack of reps to make plays like that it's such a confidence booster for him and and he deserves it he's been working hard and so and i was celebrating i was probably celebrating more than anybody when he you know made his his great runs that he he was doing ab you guys have gone up against this defense throughout camp and and you know just how good it is what's it like seeing them have the success they're having at shutting teams down i mean you guys took a little bit to get going in the game tonight and and they just were shutting troy down except for maybe the one big play yeah, it's it's amazing. Like we knew it was gonna happen. Like the the competition all fall camp, you know, just knowing how good they were, I was just like, good luck, basically tell other teams like, good luck trying to score on them because they got talent you know, all across the board. Penny, of course, you guys have a game on Friday, so it's a day sooner than what you normally would have. What's the key to getting ready on a short week? Uh, really, just just lock in. Maybe a day earlier. You know, we might lose a day of. Uh, film preparation that we might not have, um, you know, but just getting our, our minds focused on the next opponent a little sooner. I, I don't think it will be too big of a problem, though. There's Lapini Katoa now. Here is defensive lineman Kairos Tonga. Wanted to ask you about that first sequence. You force a punt, it gets dropped, and you guys have to retake the field. And Kalani said you guys were sprinting out there, anxious for the challenge, and you shut them down on, a, a, you know, and forced a turnover on downs. What was that like for the defense? How important was that as part of this game? Um, we're super excited. Anytime we uh, we get to take the field, um, we're happy. Uh, it's been uh, we trust our offense and in, in everything they do. So if they want to be aggressive and um, and go for it on on critical downs, and if they don't get it, we're we're super we're super excited. So it was fun to uh, to go right back out and uh, to get a stop. Yeah, Kyrus, can you describe the experience of playing in an empty stadium? I know la- uh, the last game against Navy, there were some fans there, but what, what was that experience like for you and your teammates? Um, it's fun. Um, we're just grateful to even to even play and have this opportunity. But uh, we definitely miss the fans, and um, we know that they're watching, and so we're grateful for them, and um, we just can't wait to, to see you guys out there. Yeah, Kyrus, the defensive line really stood out again. You guys are getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback. We all knew how good you were coming into the season. How good are, you, are these guys stepping up like, like – uh, uh, you're back. I'm forgetting his name name right now, but uh, uh, just some of the other guys. We could just give a shout out to them, and, and what are they doing to maybe help you in that regard? Uh, our D line has been working super hard this whole off season, and uh, they're just grateful to even to get the time. As soon as um, the numbers are called, they're uh, giving 100 percent effort. So grateful for for guys who who come and play. If it's a uh, one snap or 90 snaps, whatever they can get, they'll they'll give 100 percent of effort. So grateful for the D line and and all they do in their hard work. Yeah, Kyrus, you mentioned how just how excited and amped up you were to get back on the field after the offense kind of let you guys back in that first quarter. Do you feel like you guys have a, I don't know if it's a responsibility or or do you just, do you feel like you can kind of on defense, you can kind of set the tone for the offense and, and sort of help them pave the way, make their job a little bit easier and that kind of thing. 
I think it goes both ways. Uh, we feed off the uh, off the offense, and the offense feed off of us. And the same with special teams. Anytime they uh, that's a big play that's being made, um, it just gets the juices going with with everyone on the sideline or whoever's coming in. So I think it's a uh, it goes both ways. We're we're super excited every time the offense make plays, and I know they're they're super excited when every time we get three now. So it's uh it's just all fun. So. Kairos, you guys had 17 sacks the entire season last year. Through two games this year, you guys already have nine. What's been the key to you guys getting more sacks and just more disruptive plays? I think just trusting in our play, um, just just playing ball and just trusting in our our technique and everything that we've uh, we've practiced. So just it's just going out and um, executing what we've uh, we've been doing so far uh, during camp. In two games, Kairos, you guys have not allowed another team to get more than seven points, not more than 200 total yards. How proud are you of what you two have been, what you're, what you guys have been able to accomplish in two games against two very different styles of offense? I'm super, I'm super happy uh, with with everything that's going on on the defensive side. Um, everyone flying around, everyone's trusting in each other, and we're just having fun. It's been a, it's been a fun couple of weeks, and we continue just to to go on throughout the season, and continue just to have fun and uh, make plays. Yeah, Kyrus, this might be a question better suited for an offensive guy, but but uh, you always give us a straight answer. Um, when you see your coach like take a knee and not run up the score. Uh, do you like to see that, or do you, would you rather just have the pedal gas pedal on all the way to the end? I, I, <laughs> I like uh, I like scoring, but Kalani's a, a classy guy, and um, Coach Pugh on, on the other side of the ball is is always uh, respect, and uh, that's something I, I love about Coach Kalani is uh, no matter who the opponent is, um, we'll always show respect and in class and. Uh, good sportsmanship, so it's fun. We don't see it at, at the at the moment, but uh, we realize that as soon as uh, it happens, so it was fun. All right, there's Kyrus Tonga. Now here's the quarterback, Zach Wilson, who had huge stats. I wanted to ask about starting, being able to, you know, you, you look forward to coming out on the field, and then there's a muffed punt. How big was it to take the field after your defense got a stop after that turnover? <clears throat> what did that do for the momentum and just setting the tone for the game? Yeah, I would say the guys handled it well. You know, um, you know, personally, me in that situation, saw the muff punt, you know, honestly just shook it off. It was like no big deal. You know, guys make mistakes. Dax will tell you that firsthand, right? How many, how many teams muff a punt in a season happens all the time. So, you know, it was no big deal for us. We knew we were going to come back. We knew the defense had our back. They were going to get a stop, and we are going to come back out and, and uh, be able to put a drive together. Zach, how big of a relief is it to have this dominant performance once again after – multiple weeks of uncertainty with personnel and postponements just how big of a relief was it to have this type of performance once again yeah you know it's been it's been great for the team you know we had three weeks off I feel like everyone handled it well they they handled what they were supposed to over those three weeks they knew we have something special in in this team and and they put in the work those three weeks and you know I'm just happy that that all the work this whole team's put on and in the offseason is finally showing Zach you put up a career high in passing yards this offense is rolling early on the season. What's been the key to you guys having such success? You know, playmakers, I'd say we're, we're very versatile. We got great running backs, you know, dudes making, uh, you know, big time plays, making guys miss. And then, you know, at the same time, you know, I can throw a swing route to a back. I can throw a, an arrow to a receiver and those guys are going to make guys miss and they're going to go make big time plays down the field. And, um, you know, really, I, I just think we have that playmaking ability where guys aren't letting the first one take them down. 
Zach, in two games, you guys have put up over 100 points now. What does that mean to be able to come out and, and just show what this offense is capable of and, and, you know, try and, I don't know, get the attention that you can get in a season like this with these types of performances? Yeah, all it means is we can't get too, uh, too big of an ego, too big of a big head going into the next week. And, you know, we're a good offense, but it means nothing if we just stop it now, you know. So we got we to gotta keep getting after it at practice, um, prepare for our next opponent. You know, La Tech's a great team, and uh, we got to come out ready to play against those guys. So really, you know, all it means is, um, you know, we're just one more step there to where we got to be. Zach, you had a great game throwing the ball to the quarterback. I mean, you know as well as anybody, a quarterback's only as good as, re- as his receivers. Did guys like Gunner and Dax and them kind of make it quote-unquote easy tonight, I guess? Yeah, you know, the whole – everyone around, Gunner, Dax, Neil, uh, Isaac, you even have the fullbacks, Mason, and and then Peeney and Tyler, I'm throwing the ball to them on, on, the, on the edges too. And, um, you know, as a quarterback, I can honestly say that – you know, a quarterback is always as good as the guys around him. And I'm fortunate to have a, a great, you know, 10 guys that rally around me. And, um, you know, I can make the easy play and they can make it a big play. Zach, can you describe the feeling and the, the, what the experience was like playing in an empty stadium tonight? You know, as a player, personally, you know, there's a couple times maybe when the defense is on or, or you know, we're jogging at halftime or, or, you know, a big play happens, you don't hear any fan noise. Um, that you actually notice it, you know, but when you're so dialed in on, on what's going on and, and you're, you know, you're focused on, you know, the defensive front, what's, you know, maybe what pressure could be coming, you know, the play, what motion, you know, all that kind of stuff, it, you know, it's, you don't even notice it. You know, that's one of the biggest things I've noticed. And I'm sure a lot of the guys could say the same thing is you really don't even notice the crowd not being there. Zach, I'm just curious if you found a different place to live. Seems like all of Provo uh, wants to know. Uh you know, it's hard. I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, you know, I got another week, but I definitely have some options. So, yeah, a game like this, Zach, a lot of uh, new faces were able to make plays, some by necessity, some uh, just by the course of the game. How nice is it for you as a, as a leader on this team to see some of those guys step up and make plays and have that opportunity? You know, it's huge. I'd say that's the, the biggest advantage of having a, a team full of experienced guys is, you know, this is the first time I felt like, you know, not just me, but the entire line, the receiving core, the tight ends are, are are filling in their role of, you know, being able to take everything to the next level. You know, there's plays that we've made tonight that, you know, that we probably weren't doing last year or the year before. And, and I just think that's an experience thing. And guys are out here making plays. All right. There's Zach Wilson of BYU Players. Here's the head coach, Kalani Sataki. Thankful we got to play the game and got the win, you know, and really pleased with the way the guys played in all three phases. Obviously, there's some things that we could still improve on for next week. Looking forward to the matchup against Louisiana Tech. I thought uh, Troy did some really good things to test us, and but uh, I, I thought our you know, our team were able to respond and answer through some adversity. You know, we, we muffed the punt earlier, and I think it was Dax, I believe, that, that did it. And uh, I'm glad our coaches kept believing in him to, to you know, have a presence in, in the game and, and get a continue to return our punts and also, you know, make a difference as a receiver on the field. So uh, really, really pleased with the physical part of the game. I thought our guys were able to respond the right way on defense and, and on, on offense with uh, the t- – you know, we asked them to toughen up and play some tough football, but our guys are some compromising positions that would test their physical part of the game, and I thought they answered it the, well, the right way. So looking forward to the next game and improving from this one to the next, but uh, really pleased with the leadership and the guys on the field. So I'll take any questions you guys have. Hey, Kalani, because of the nature of your schedule this year and the way the, uh, the pollsters vote, 
Do you feel any pressure at all to, to get style points, as it were? Obviously, you haven't against Navy and again tonight, but does that thought ever enter your mind? No, I just want to win games and, and uh, you know, play with sportsmanship and, and, and do things the right way. I, I, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, it doesn't look good for the stats that, that our red zone offense, you know, we, we've had to kneel down the, the ball twice now and it's okay. I, I like being in those, I like being in, in a situation where I have to make those decisions, you know, but uh, I don't believe in style points. I believe in just winning the game and, and establishing an identity that we want to get done for that game. And I felt like we've done it the last two weeks. Uh, obviously, looking forward to the matchup with Louisiana Tech. But yeah, I just feel like <clears throat> this is the right thing to do. And, and uh, you know, we, we did some great things. The other 59 minutes were full of our, our team playing the right way and, and, and uh, look at those minutes for the style points. I, I know people look at the scoreboard and things like that, and that's okay. I, I feel like we were able to play our style of football and, and represent the right way. Kalani, how satisfying is it for you to get a, a win, a 41-point win in a game where you had to dig into your depth and you had to overcome some adversity with personnel and navigating this this pandemic and as far as personnel goes? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I think that, you know, looking at the coaches and the staff, I, I, I thought they prepared, prepared really well. And then they, they, you know, looking at the practices, the things that we've had to do since we, you know, had to postpone the Army game, I was really, really happy with the way the coaches worked with the, with the players. And, you know, we, we had another uh, another small group of players that joined us on on Thursday. And so we didn't have a lot of time with them and wanted to just monitor their the physical part if they're in condition and, and good enough to play in the game. And, um, um, we, we knew that we were going to have to use a, a good number of different players and uh, we wanted to get the scheme right that make sure our guys are going to play you know assignment sound football and, and, and on offense defense and special teams so I was really pleased with the way the guys prepped um, you know this is that's just kind of what you have to deal with when you're when you're going through the, the pandemic you know we're dealing with COVID and and so we're, we're going to have to keep, continue to do that every week and, and monitor our guys but uh, also know that there's a chance that some guys might not be able to play and we don't had to uh, check out the depth and, and we've done a lot of cross training with our guys and then luckily it's helping us out especially in, in the game tonight Kalani you touched on this but I wanted to ask about that sequence after the muffed punt for the defense to go out and force a turnover on downs and thus be able to kind of set the tone for the game and not let Troy get any momentum off of off of the turnover yeah, I mean the guys. It helps having great leaders on the team, you know, and 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 uh, you know after we forced the punt, uh, the, I love the way the defense responded to the fact that they had to get back on the field and go. And they sprinted on the field and were excited to play again. And, and uh, you know, <clears throat> regardless of, of what happens in the next series, you have a great chance if your guys are fired up, ready to go. And and, and it was more like just having um, Dax's back in that in that situation. I believe it was Dax. Was it Dax that muffed that? <clears throat> yeah, so it was like just the players supporting their teammates and showing them love and, and, and you know, having his back and getting out there and doing it and, and look what it did for Dax the rest of the night you know what I mean so uh, I'm just thankful that I have great leadership on the team great coaches that, that prep their guys well and then and, 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 uh, looking forward to keeping it going with these guys I, I thought you know we were tested at, at times and we knew what we were trying to get established on defensive side and offense and I felt like we did that we got got it done still disappointed about giving up the, that big play 
uh, at the end of the first half to give them seven points. But I love how the offense responded back and got a long field goal at the end of the half to, to end it the right way. But just, uh, yeah, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that you look on the on the film and tonight I'll, I'll be able to watch it. But I feel like we have some big plays that we left out. There's some sacks that we could have got and, and definitely some interceptions. We had our hand on the ball and I thought we made some great reads. We just got to come down with those. Turnovers will be big for us and, and hopefully, you know, we can improve on that next week. Kalani, you've seen a lot of your guys get action in these games because you've been up so big so early in them. How beneficial is it to get them live reps in games? Yeah, it's been huge for us. I mean, uh, that's, you know, and they, but we're also a deep team. We have a lot of guys that have played a lot of a lot of minutes on the field uh, that, that are giving us really quality depth, you know, so um I think that's the key. We've 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 been in the situation where injuries have forced us to play a lot of different guys. Uh, maybe maybe without them having a lot of experience, but now we have depth where there's a lot of experience and guys can get on the field. And it's not like a. You know, we're not missing that. It's not a huge drop off from one to two right now. And, and uh, hopefully we can keep that going. I'd like to see not that be, be a huge drop off from two to three. And, and hopefully we don't get there with some of the with some of the issues. But we may have to get there if, if, you know, guys test positive and we have to quarantine and things like that. And that's just a different that's just that adds more stress and anxiety to the whole mix that, you you know, we're going to test again and, and make sure that, you know, we have to see what the results are that, that I feel, you know, it's, it's it's a tough, stressful situation when you're testing and waiting for the results. But um, I thought our guys handled it like champs. And I'm just, I just like the way our guys play tonight. There's a lot of energy and you can feel it from the sideline, you know, and um, just, uh, I, I love the way that they respond to the fact that no fans are going to, that was a little bit of a downer, you know, for a lot of the guys that no fans are going to be here. And um, the players are talking about, you know, governor's announcement and support of the team and they understand it. You know, and I just wanted, I, I like the way that this team governs itself and the players um, are there to help support and communicate with each other. They, it's making my job a lot easier as a head coach. Coach, you talked about how big it was for the guys to have Dax's back after that muffed punt. What about the way that he responded to that muffed punt coming back 140 yards, had that really nice long touchdown run? Is that just something that that just speaks to his maturity and kind of growth in this game that he can – have that short memory and put it aside and, and have a, one of the best games of his career. Definitely. You know, that this, this, this game is, um, it's a lot of mistakes that could happen. We talked about it as a team that we're going to, we're going to face some adversity. We went for it on fourth down quite often, you know what I mean? And, and, um, that, that's just what we're going to do. I think they stuffed us, a you know, a couple of times and, and a decent defense had to respond, but these guys have each other's back and then they love each other. They, they love playing for each other. They love playing for their families and for the fans. And so, um, you know that we knew Dax was going to be fine. I think the he was excited to get back out there and and, and get the next punt. You know, so um, yeah, just love the way the guys play. I, I thought I thought the offense did, did a great job pr protecting the football the rest of the night. You know, and and um, you have to give Troy credit that they're, they're they're a good team. They have a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism on that team, and I felt like our um, offense and defense were able to take that speed and minimize it a little bit and, and show also show that we have some speed too you know I, I, we keep talking about other people and their athleticism and speed but I saw a lot of receivers making big plays and running by guys and I saw uh, you know our defense running down guys too so um, you know we'll we have to keep proving
improving it. And this is just another one game. And looking forward to improving on the next one. And and uh, our guys have a lot to prove. So we'll, we'll get some of the things fixed and uh, make sure that we get get better next week. Lonnie, well, the defensive effort, you give up 149 yards in game one, 181 tonight. That's got to be pretty pleasing for someone with your defensive background just to see the, the defense, the way that it stood tall in these first two games and, and made plays no matter who was on the field. Yeah, and I, I thought that the presence up front was felt. That's that's what we wanted on both sides of the ball, you know, on defense and offensive line. We we want those big guys to lead the way, and uh, you know, I, I felt like we were able to do some things in the past game because of uh, you know we established a run game and be physical up front, and then on defense, I thought we we handled the run really well with with the front. I think Kyrus and the boys were ready to roll, you know, and and. Um, just I, I like the way our team responded. I like the way they answered the call to be physical and tough. And, you know, let's let's find some more consistency and do it again for the third week. You know, this is a different beast that we're going to face with Louisiana Tech. But <clears throat> I think our guys are ready for it. And I just it really helps having a bunch of veteran guys on the team and guys. That, I say veteran, but it's like a lot of a lot of older guys that have, have played. And some of them are still sophomores and juniors but they've been they've been in this situation playing a lot of minutes you know and and you just got a good feel from these guys i just love the way our team is working together and and the, the way they respond to a lot of different things including the pandemic you know and things that we asking them to do and you know this i thought we we've, we've been handling the testing and, and the pandemic really well and looking forward to keep improving so we can keep playing this game Kalani, Zach's throws to a career-high 392 tonight. What's led to this point in, in Zach's career where he's made this big leap forward as a quarterback? I think Zach's leadership is, is starting to show. And, and I mentioned this um, last game that, you know, this is – he had a great offseason. You know, before he'd had to – you know, he, he had to kind of nurse some injuries and get back from it, right? And this is the first time that he had a great offseason, being able to just take care of his stuff and perfect his craft. He's throwing the ball really well. He's seeing things really well, making the be the, the, the right checks, you know, and putting the guys in the right spot. And, and, and there's a lot of still room for improvement, you know, and – I know that Zach will think that that this isn't a great, the, the good enough. Uh, there's some things that I know that he, there's some plays I know he wish he could he could have back. But man, I, I just like the way he's working. I like the way he's leading this team. You know, he's he's played a lot of a lot of games for us, a lot of minutes, and the guys look to him as a leader. And I, I like the way he and Baylor and Jaron, that whole quarterback room is working. So uh, we'll keep we'll keep flowing with him. And I think his leadership is is uh, he's still feel a lot more comfortable being a leader um, now being here for so long you know it's been a long yeah it's been a long time I mean he's played a lot of games so but the improvement that I this is the stuff that you won't be able to see is that the things that he did during the offseason on a personal level to improve his game is starting to really show so and, and he's not the only one there's a lot of guys on our team that you know really improve their skills and and, and be able to perfect their craft a little bit more so that helps out having a bunch of guys that are intrinsically motivated and 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 um you know guys that i can trust there's byu head coach kalani sataki all right dj and pk it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone when we come back the lakers are back in the nba finals playing the heat remember when they had that dynasty oh my gosh three in a row but shaq and kobe going at it there's a new book coming out on that and uh there's some stories man that team fought a lot Holy cow, Jeff Perlman's got stories next. Stay with us. 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We are joined now by Jeff Perlman, author of Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Laker Dynasty. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Good. So, you get a few years removed, and people sometimes are willing to go into details that they can't go into when it's all happening because... Uh, you know, it's it's not okay to violate the sanctity of the locker room, and you still got to work with these people, play for this coach, or have this guy as a teammate. So when you get a few years removed, you tend to get a few juicy stories, some details, and we think we know the bigger plot, but you get some details to fill stuff in. What are a couple of the details that you picked up as you uh, gathered information for this book that weren't out there earlier and are actually quite interesting? All right, so this is I have not told this story before while promoting this book, but since we're, we're on in Salt Lake City, one of my favorite moments in this book is um, after the Jazz eliminate the Lakers um, in the playoffs and Greg Ostertag talks a load of trash about Shaquille O'Neal, like a load of trash. And, you know, Shaq can say what he wants, but he's home now on vacation. And I'm still playing. So Shaq basically reads all this and it builds up in him and builds up in him. And he is furious and the next year uh the season Shaq was out with an injury and it's uh it's before the first game of the year and he's standing courtside and he sees Greg Ostertag Utah Jazz Center and he's like yo Greg I don't really like the stuff you were saying about me man I that my kids have to read that I, I do not like that Ostertag says you you know what Shaq go after yourself and Shaq reaches back his bare hand and just smacks Ostertag across the face. Ostertag falls to the floor like a napkin, like just crumbles to the floor. And he's looking around for his contact lens, going, where's my contact lens? Where's my contact lens? And all the Lakers and a bunch of Jazz are gathered around, and nobody's helping him, and no one's coming to his defense. And one Laker told me it was the most pathetic thing he's ever seen. It was Greg Ostertag getting just smacked in front of everyone by Shaq and crumbling and trying to find his contact lens on the ground before getting up and walking off in the walk of shame. And I haven't told that. I mean, I just kind of love that because it's, it's very uh, geographically relatable to where you are right now. I don't know how well-known the Ostertag-Shack uh, relationship was back then, but yeah. it, was, it was not great. Yeah, I think you just pulled the scab off an old wound there because Greg was really not the same after that. Yeah, that That's story. That's a funny thing. Yeah. He really wasn't. No, he That's wasn't. That's amazing. And, you know... Um, not that this is the Greg Ostertag book, but, you know, teammates told me, like, he really, like, he thought he was tough and he thought he was big. He wasn't the hardest worker. He wasn't the most skilled. But the one thing he had going for him was size and kind of this brute force. And after getting smacked by Cope, uh, by Shaq in front of everyone, it sort of took away. It was like Mike Tyson getting knocked out by Buster Douglas, where suddenly you're like, oh, it's just this guy. It's actually not that big a deal after all. A huge moment in that rivalry. A huge moment in that rivalry. A lot of stuff in this book. Uh, we got it uh, yesterday. 
uh, online, and I've been trying to read as much as I can in the last 24 hours, literally right up until we went on the air this morning. Uh, I can go 100 different directions, so hopefully I go in ones that are our listeners would enjoy or find interesting. One of the things that struck me is that in your attempts to speak to people, at least uh, the stuff that I read, is that there was, like Phil Jackson says, uh, I'm only here to talk to you because Jeannie Buss says I have to, and then you're up in Montana, I believe it was, and he gives you eight hours. J.R. Ryder, uh, you try to track him down. You don't have success. You show up at his door in Chandler, Arizona. He seems to be very aggressive towards you basically get off my lawn and you explain what you're there for and then he gives you almost three hours of time when you just basically showed up cold and he's saying i got stories man why do you think that people were so willing to give you so much time to talk on the subjects that you were looking to and into uh interview them on i think a lot of it is it's sort of the the equivalent of why you graduated from wherever you know, whatever college, USC in 1996, and your best days were in your fraternity. Man, I had a great time at whatever, and it was awesome, and blah, blah, blah. In 1996, it's like, look, you're a brother. You can't tell anyone about this. You can't tell anyone about this. You know, what we did to the plebes or whatever, you can't tell anyone. Then it's 2000. It's like, you haven't told anyone, have you? No, I haven't told anyone. You tell anyone, nah. Then 2005, and you're like, ah, I guess, you know, it's really funny. I, I don't know. And then by, you know, you're basically like, these are the best days of my life, but these are the funniest stories of my life. I'm not just going to keep them to myself. And it's the same with being on a basketball team and being on a team like that. Like enough time has passed where I think a lot of the players, like these are the best days of my life. This was the most fun I had. This was the craziest experience I had is with these same 15 guys all season. And here's the roller coaster. I just think it's sort of like the human uh, desire to tell stories and the protection that time has. And also just being completely honest, I reported and wrote the book um, before Kobe's death. So there certainly was a comfort probably that wouldn't have been quite the same if it had been immediately after uh, January 26th. Jeff Perlman joining us. The book is Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Laker Dynasty. So how many fights were there? How many guys did these guys punch? Because you open with a story about Kobe on the bus not getting his 100 bucks for making a half-court shot from one guy, so he punches the guy and then is immediately just filled with all kinds of you know grief and apologizing and crying on the phone and saying he's sorry. How often did these guys blow up and haul off and hit somebody? I mean, it wasn't a regular. It wasn't like every five days they were getting in fights. There's, that one was a big one because uh, Smokey Walker was ready to just destroy Kobe Bryant and actually had Phil. He was on a bus in Cleveland and said to Phil Jackson, Phil, stop the bus. Stop the bus. And challenged Kobe Bryant right there to get off the bus. Then there was during the lockout year, Shaq and Kobe in a pickup game and Kobe getting mad and frustrated with Shaq calling too many fouls and Shaq basically smacking him across the face and threatening to have him traded to Vancouver when the Grizzlies were in Vancouver. There was Shaq dragging Brian Shaw across the locker room floor after getting mad at him. One time they taped, they duct taped Devin George and looked naked to practice court and walked off and left him there having to get on. He ended up having a janitor come and take the tape off of him and get him, you know, find a way to get a naked Devin George home. So there were definitely fights, but, um, Mainly, and oh, there was also obviously Rick Fox, Doug Christie, one of the great fights of all time on the court when Doug Christie's wife comes running down with a swing or pocketbook at Rick Fox. 
So there were definitely a lot of fights. A lot of it was, was sort of passive-aggressive in that locker room. There was Shaq taking shots at Kobe, Kobe taking shots at Shaq, then apologizing, then more shots. It was sort of this ongoing soap opera where you never kind of knew what would happen. One of the things I took from it, you know, th- this was a, a team that most people believe left some titles on the table. And if they could have found a way between the two stars to, to find some harmony, maybe they could have won more. But one of the things that I took from this, correct me if I'm wrong, is that folks, particularly somebody like Phil Jackson, didn't necessarily have a lot of regret that it didn't go beyond where it went. And it ended when it was it ended when it ended. And there wasn't a lot of sadness that it ended a the way it ended and how quickly, relatively speaking, it did end. Um, I would agree with that. I um, I think we in sports tend to say, ah, oh, how many they could have won. Like I wrote a book, my first book ever was about the 86 Mets. And people would say, man, that team should have been a dynasty. And I always say, yeah, it could have been a dynasty if Dwight Gooden wasn't addicted to cocaine. So that's a big if. Like if you want to play that game, if, 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 you can. Shaq and Kobe, by the time they lost to Detroit, they were done with each other. It was Shaq was desperate for a contract extension that Jerry Buss wasn't giving him. Joe Jackson had no idea what was going on with his deal, whether he was coming back. Kobe had one foot out the door going to the Clippers. Kobe was also flying back and forth from Eagle, Colorado. Felt like he wasn't getting the support from teammates or the organization. Um, in the finals against Detroit, obviously, they got beaten down pretty pretty good. Afterwards, uh, Kobe says to a teammate, I'm never playing with that mf again. Um, they just squeezed everything they could out of that, everything they could. And at the end, when they lost to Detroit, they were just kind of a mess. Peyton and Malone were there. It wasn't a smooth season at all. Triangle offense was falling apart. It just had run its course. So I, I can't see any real. Yeah, if they if all people did was play basketball and not have human emotions, sure they could have won another two titles or three titles. But if you throw in emotions and personalities, it was as done as you could be. It was just over, completely over. So one thing that was reported a long time ago, but maybe talking to people, you're going to have a better feel for this, was that the last year. Phil was in the back of the bus on a laptop writing a book about the team he was coaching when typically the coach would say, oh, this stays in the group. And meanwhile, this guy is writing in the back of the bus getting ready to cash in on that. Did that have a big impact on the team, or were things falling apart so completely that that just didn't matter? There were bigger issues. Well, it didn't, it didn't have an impact during the season. Um, but after when that book came out... Um, the last season. First of all, it's a great book. It's a really great book and great insight into that season. Um, a lot of the players were really pissed off because it felt like a violation. Again, how many times do coaches and organizations preach family, 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 we're a family, what happens here stays here. And then as soon as the season is over, this tell-all book comes out that basically takes the legs out from under Kobe Bryant. Um, so I, I would not say it had an impact during the season. I would say after the season, um, there were a lot of people who were a little felt that he had gone behind their backs, and, and it was not the right thing to do. There's always a lot of twists and turns and maybe some fate and whatever you want to call it as far as how things end up being the way they are. You know, you look what I'm talking about, how Kobe got to the Lakers. Like Donovan Mitchell, just to use a small example, you know, it was a game, a draft day trade with the Nuggets, and they had worked him out, the Jazz, and 
the GM, Dennis Lindsay, told people, if anybody mentions this who were in the gym, you'll be fired immediately because of what they thought of Mitchell. And obviously he's turned out to be a real good player and just barely getting started in his NBA stardom. And we know Jerry West said that, you know, it was the best workout he'd ever had. And, and the Nets were there. And Calipari was saying, well, Jerry West says it. It's good enough for me. And they went back and forth. But a crazy little thing, and I'm stretching the truth a little bit, so just play with me. But basically, uh, Kobe and his family, his parents, got turned off because they gave Kobe a middle seat on a plane flying to New Jersey or something like that? Yeah, but that's not – that is true, 100%. The Nets booked his flight. So the Nets wore Kobe out, I think, five times over. I was either four or five times. And at one time, he was flying to L.A. after. And whoever booked the travel for the Nets got him in a middle seat commercial. And he was not happy, and his people were not happy. But the real reason he wound up not going to the Nets, I mean, there was this whole, the Nets had the number eight pick. They were dead set on taking Kobe Bryant. Kobe had signed the Adidas deal. His people wanted him in L.A. Jerry West desperately wanted him. Kobe's agent, Arn Tellum, was really good friends with Jerry West, made it clear to Jerry West he wants to be in L.A. Um, Kobe's camp starts calling John Calipari and say he will not sign with the Nets. And Calipari's freaking out. He's a young coach, first year. What am I going to do? John Nash is a GM. He's like, Cal, he's going to sign with us. This is all a bluff. I don't know, man. I think he's going to sign. Then uh, Kerry Kittles' his agent, David Falk. Kerry Kittles from Villanova desperately wants to play with the Nets. Calls John Calipari and says, listen, if you don't draft Kerry Kittles if he's there, I'm never going to have a guy play for you again. Oh, my God, what the heck? This is John Nash is like, listen, they're bluffing. This is what it is in the NBA. They're bluffing. But John Calipari in this contract is final say on personnel. And right before the draft, he holds a meeting and he says, well, here's what we're going to do. If Kerry Kittles is there at number eight, we're taking Kerry Kittles. If he's not there, we're going with Kobe. Kittles is there. They draft Kerry Kittles. Jerry West knows Charlotte with number 13 is going to get Kobe. They make the trade for Vlade. I actually interviewed Kerry Kittles for the book, and he was like, he had played against Kobe in summer leagues. He was like, I'm going to be honest, if I had the chance to draft Kobe, I'd probably take him over me too. So the Nets, you know, and Jason Williams, who played for the Nets and hated Calipari, told me, he's like, Calipari used to always act like a tough guy, and he ended up getting intimidated by a 17-year-old kid. That was pathetic. Jeff Perlman, author of The Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Laker Dynasty. You know, there are multiple quotes uh, from people who played with uh, Kobe in the early years. He just didn't seem comfortable with himself. You know, he didn't seem comfortable in his own skin. How much of that do you think that Kobe really foreshadowed um, what a lot of... um, the, the the difficulty a lot of foreign players would have making the transition and fitting in in the NBA. Kobe did grow up and went to high school in the U.S., but he lived for a long time in Italy as a young kid. How much did that make him not fit? And then how much of all of this was just, well, he went to the NBA as a teenager. Of course, he had to grow up and mature, and he had to do it in the spotlight on a massive stage, which, of course, complicated it. It would complicate it for everyone. That's the story of all these child stars, in, or not all, but a lot of the child stars in Hollywood. How do you sort all that out? What What was the kind of the issue with Kobe earlier in life as he figured himself out and got comfortable in his own skin. I mean, he definitely had a little bit of that sort of Gary Coleman thing where you're this precocious star, but you don't know how to open a checking account, you know, and your life is just sort of one awkward moment after another. A lot of it, yeah. He he was basically a foreign player. He was born, you know, raised in Italy, 
only black kid around anywhere. Moves to suburban Philadelphia to Lower Marion, only black kid around. Um, is hailed as this sort of phenom from a very young age. Signs an Adidas shoe deal while I was a senior in high school. Takes Brandy to the prom, a woman, he, a star singer he'd never met before. Um, goes straight to the NBA. I mean, his first, his introduction to the other Laker players was his first day of training camp in Hawaii when they go around and introduce themselves. He says, my name is Kobe Bryant. Nobody here is going to punk me. You know, like, talk about the tone deafness of an 18-year-old. Like, at the same time, Jermaine O'Neal, also straight from high school, is in Portland uh, offering to get veterans arms juice and deliver their newspapers to him. You know, like, keep your head down and just be humble. Kobe didn't know that. He never knew that. It was never, it was just about going hard. And a lot of the players back then, and you can see it really sound laughable the way he sort of imitated Michael Jordan from licking his lips to the way he spoke, the way he sort of dressed himself with the wristbands and the way he carried himself. And a lot of his early life was imitating people and trying to figure out who he was and how to come across the right way and thinking five steps before doing. I just think there's a lot. It is. It's, it's being young in the NBA. It's trying to present a front that isn't real. It's not being brought up in the normal background. It's all those things. But having a dad as a star, um, a lot of things merging together to conspire against you in a way. Well, Jeff, we appreciate the time. Uh, we've enjoyed reading the book, the portions we've gotten through it. It's uh, The Three Ring Circus, Kobe Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Laker Dynasty. Jeff, thanks for a few minutes, and good luck with the book. All right, thank you. Take care. There's Jeff Perlman. Check out his book. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. What is trending? All the headlines next.